You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Welcome back, dear listeners. At long last, I have a new tale to tell. I have no guest this week. However, an oath is an oath. And I will deliver my end. Today, I will be flying solo. Well, except for you, listener. And as always, my faithful co-pilot, Evil Stevel. You know, that demon thing that delivers these tales to me in the form of golden tablets that I have to douse with fresh blood in order to get sick-ass visions of Dracus. Yeah, anyways. Let us head back to Dracus, that twisted realm of swords and sorcery, that which had been built upon the bones of an empire far further reaching than the simple confines of this lonely planet. To the northernmost located so-called country known as Dreadmore, a realm built around deluded ideas of order and greater good. Well-intentioned, perhaps, but allow me to define. Order, or so it's called when men of ill repute make decrees and foist them upon strangers who do not know their own power. And greater good when those so-called directors decide to sacrifice the innocent folk for the preservation of said order. I truly could not have designed a more potent system myself. It is here along the southern borderlands of this northern empire, where the air is only occasionally blasted with bog fumes from the famous doom bogs. Where the roads, cracked and ill-maintained, too numerous to count, are often patrolled by Dreadmore soldiers. On one of the many fronts of that country's endless war on drugs. And by extension, self-expression. After all, anything that does not serve the order must be stamped out. For the greater good, right? And drugs? Those mind-altering substances? Chemicals that are indeed natural that can and often do force one to confront the lies they've told themselves, lies about the necessity of order and the origins of greater good. These foul substances cannot be allowed to open the minds of the serving class. This truth would destroy subservience and by extension, the order. And so the steel-clad knights of Dreadmore strike out to defeat this most elusive of foe burning, slaying, looting, and dying in droves. But this isn't a tale about those brave warriors who would sacrifice anything, even you, 
to see you subjugated and your will broken to serve their masters. Tonight's tale is about a band of smugglers, a group of three elvish men whose band has no formal name, simply a symbol. I'm sure you've seen it before, it's that S thing on top of a five-pointed pot leaf. They have undertaken a mighty quest of delivering only the purest, freshest, and dankest of dank moss to the good citizens of Dreadmoor. They believe in the potent magic the plant contains, and they too believe in its ability to rekindle the spark of individuality inside us all, as they themselves are living testament to its mystical effects. Many say it revives a crushed spirit, loosens chains placed upon the mind, and other things that must surely be impossible, right? We find our noble crew spread out amongst a double-wide caravan wagon, filled to the absolute brim with dank moss in airtight canvas bags. They chat idly, as, hmm, Sean, the elf, but it's S-H-A-U-N, but there's like an umacht above the N, or above the U. I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to call him Sean, spelled S-H-A-W-N. Yes. They chat idly as Sean slowly but deftly guides the carriage from the cramped driver's seat through the ill-maintained mountain roads. His eldish eyes are focused on the road ahead and its many, many holes and obstacles while his two companions lounge about, taking turns huffing fumes from a brown paper bag full of some absolutely primo moss. <gasps> oh. oh, damn! <sighs> the elf known as Kai lets out in a little voice, like the kind you use when you're trying to hold in a big hit. You know, the one. He lets out these satisfied words from his comfy passenger side seat, one leg hanging out the carriage, and some jacket stuffed underneath the small of his back. The voice of the third of this trio, Marikoth of the Glindy Grove, from the back, lost somewhere amongst the towering stacks of that sticky, icky, stanky, danky spoke. Yeah man, that shit's next level. <laughs> We're gonna get so laid at the festival. Kai bobbed his head in agreement. <laughs> Holy shit, man, yeah! They're gonna be telling stories about this party for eons! And Sean, ever the pragmatist, decided to hold his tongue. He wanted to say, yeah, if we make it on time, or something along those lines. But he really didn't want to harsh the mellow of his compatriots. He was sure they felt bad enough after getting pickpocketed a few days ago in the border town. And it was good to see them in high spirits again. So instead, he curled his lip and stoically nodded once in agreement. They continued down the road, slowly, steadily, careful not to overexert their ostriches pulling their overburdened dank mobile. Though as they skirted by a small pass in between two towering peaks, some blue and red colored lights flashed from just behind them and to the left of the trail hidden from view in some lush green shrubbery. 
shit. Sean and Kai exclaimed in near unison from their front seat view. What? What happened? Marikoth asked, but quickly looked out the window to answer his own query. Ah, shit. Fist of the Order agents. Oh, shit. The caravan had blundered right through a checkpoint. They had thought this route was safe. They got intel from the insectoid at the border town, same as the last few trips. He was never wrong. Would he have double-crossed them? No, that's doubtful. But the question flashed through Sean's mind nonetheless. Kai spoke in hushed, quick words. What in the blood pit are we gonna do? We gotta bail, right? He gestured out the wagon, vaguely towards the seemingly endless sea of evergreen that made up the valley just east of their position. Murikoth agreed, stuffing his arms full of as many bags of product as he can carry. Hell yeah, bail! Fuck this, bail! He said, his voice shaking already. Sean was white-knuckling the ropes, gritting his teeth hard. Mind fast at work, he spoke to his compatriots sternly, but with confidence. We play it cool, like we always do. Kai protested. I don't know, G. Enforcers this far out, you know, they tend to be a little... Sean didn't want to hear it. He knew what the order was like out here but he knew their best chance of getting out of the situation with their entire cargo intact. The only way to fulfill their ultimate goal was to keep it cool. To keep his compatriots' heads cool, too. So he hastily interrupted in a commanding voice, pull the curtain, and just play it cool. Marikoth silently pulled the curtain obscuring view of the product behind them, looping some hidden strings that dangled along small hooks in the ceiling, pulling it as tight as it could be. It was, in truth, more than a mere curtain, but a beautifully lifelike tapestry of what seemed to look like the back of an empty carriage. Sean began to slow and pull off to the side of the road, while the flashing lights of the Order's infamous agents caught up to them while Kai simply crossed and uncrossed his hands and legs, trying to find the most non-suspicious of all poses. Failing, of course. There they waited, in the still and frigid night air. Their inner thoughts were getting the best of them, Kai especially, who was red in the face with panic. Merikoth was beginning to quietly hyperventilate, while Sean's knuckles were turning white, grasping the plush, faux basculus leather rein. There was a clanging of metal boots, rhythmically stopping their way into the peripheral view of the elves. And there he was, a proud agent of the Order, hand on his holstered double-sided crossbow. He marched up in a perfectly straight line, pivoted precisely 90 degrees to face Sean in the driver's side seat. He spoke. Papers. It was not a statement, but a command and Sean dutifully handed the yellow documents to the armored elf, then spoke. We were just on our way home from dropping off some tools in the border cities. The officer scanned the paper thoroughly. It certainly looked official enough for him, but his monthly bonus depended on making arrests, so he continued his line of questioning. He glanced at the tapestry and spoke. Certainly looks that way. Your friend there all right. He looks... Nervous. A touch of suspicion tinged his voice. 
This incredulousness and persistence had worked out for him well in the past. Many a vile wrongdoer, nervous and on the edge by his mere presence, had twisted words and stumbled over their tongues, revealing the true depths of their vile treachery to him. Sean spoke up in defense of his friend, who was now, in addition, sweating. Uh, yeah, he, uh, had to take a piss for a while. We told him to hold it, uh, till we hit the next town. Wouldn't want to disrespect the king's lands, you know? Immediately, he began to bite his tongue. He said, We. Fuck. Fuck. Did he just blow their cover? Fuck. He began sliding his left hand down towards a metallic object concealed by the door's frame. The officer nodded in agreement. I'd recommend using a glass bottle. <laughs> I actually got a few if you need one. Kai blurted out, <laughs> Yeah, I'll be alright, officer. Th but was cut off. The officer took a step back. His expression hardened, then softened. Ooh, I smell some of that sticky, stanky, wickedly danky, diggity dang moss. Sorry, boys, but looks like I gotta search your vehicle. A sly grin peeking up from the partial concealment offered by his metal visor. He got them. The line never fails. He would have his arrests, and he would make his monthly quota. Marikoth, from the back, let out a laugh and said, Ha! Well, whoever smelt it dealt it! Sean wanted the laugh too, but simply raised the metal shield he had been prepping and ordered the birds to continue their march, but, you know, quicker. Good thing he did too, as the agent, now alerted to the possibility of an invisible man in the back of the cart, had drawn his weapon and fired two shots into the driver's side's door and shield, respectively. The agent hastily retreated and began frantically speaking into his communication runestone. Shots fired, suspects heavily armed, blah 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 blah. And it was hard to make out if they got a few dozen yards away. But more lights ahead of them on the trail began converging from various side routes onto their road. Seems that they were well and truly fucked. Marikoth yelled out, We're fucked, dude, fuck. They waited in silence a bit for a new idea to come to them. Bale? Spoke Kai, now hugging a fat stack of dank moss to his chest and looking towards his homies for approval. Sean letting out an exasperated sigh through his pursed lips. Damn it, yeah, bail. And then cut the ostriches loose. The three gathered their bug out bag, which, if you're a driver, you should absolutely have a bug out bag. Shit might save your life one day. Feel free to send me an email if you want a little help putting yours together. Anyways, uh, the three grabbed their bug out bag, as well as much product as could be grabbed. They had to leave most of it behind, as well as their sweet carriage the one that had carried them through these torturous mountains dozens of times. It was their home and their livelihood, the vehicle of spiritual liberation, the harbinger of the party, the legendary Dankmobile. But they were on a sacred mission, one that would demand yet more sacrifice. Upon exiting, Kai briefly turned around, struck a match, and tossed it into the back which extremely quickly set the Dankmobile alight, letting out a huge gout of fire and dank gas, as those bags of brain-scrigglingly potent and mystically enhanced dank moss fermented for weeks. The gas they produced became quite dense and fueled the wild explosion. 
So much for our deposit, Marikoff bitched as he slid down the hillside they stopped at. Sean chuckled a bit, and soon followed, careful to remove the barbed arrow that his shield had caught before sliding down, disappearing into the forest below. Soon the trio was at the bottom of the ravine. They did take a little damage, some scrapes, cuts, bruises, and splinters, but luckily, the drugs had kept them limber enough where they didn't do any serious damage. The burning cart illuminated the road and the nearby trees, causing the gleaming agents of order to glow. This provided enough distraction for them to make it quite far into the woods, as the agents could not risk approaching the burning drugs, lest they accidentally ingest any and be summarily executed by high command. But of course, that didn't stop a few from taking poorly aimed pot shots at the trio from the so-called high road. Near the flaming mess, a red leather gloved hand picks up a scrap of the smoldering canvas, a shred inked with the trio's signature logo. The commander, the owner of said red gloves, crushed the brown fabric and hissed, Finally! Those foolish stoners will taste true justice for their crimes. I've got them now. Cut to a few hours later, the trio trudging through the woods, Marikoth in the lead, as his super-altered senses allow him greater ability to pathfind through the darker woods at night. Kai is high enough to follow quite easily, occasionally taking the reins, but generally staying with Sean, who at this point was still stone-cold sober. You always gotta have one sober person there. But like, they have to be able to vibe with everyone else and not dampen the mood any. And today, Sean was that guy. What a hero. Marikoth holds up his palmed hand and extends his pointer finger and did a little circle motion to signify the group to halt and then huddle up. And Kai is all, Yo, I forgot what that means. Sean, thoroughly lost, is all, What does what mean? I can't see anything. Marikoth is all, dudes, I, uh, never mind. There's a farm right over there. Maybe we could, like, crash there? Sean spoke. Tight. I'll go talk to the owner. Sean, now leading the way, walks up the gravel road to the farm's main entrance, crunching along while his dudes stay a few feet behind. He grabs the knocker and knocks. A light flicks on, shuffling is heard, and some angry grumbling is heard too. Collectively, the trio starts to get a little embarrassed. Kai contemplates just bailing again. They no doubt could hack it in the woods for a night. After all, they did bring their bug out bag. But it does look like it's going to rain, and he doesn't want to risk reactivating the moss with the moisture. Also, he ponders, there is the matter of the agents trying to kill them. And after his brief contemplation, he chooses to stand firm with his band of friends. A farmer answers the door and is all, what? While technically a question, it is not delivered in such a way, almost an insult. Or a threat, likely a threat, judging by the way he grasped the heavily worn axe. Sean raising his hands defensively. Hey man, uh, our carriage just broke down on the road. He gestures vaguely towards the road. And we were wondering if we could, if you would allow us to crash near barn for a night. You know, maybe if you had some water, we're kind of cut up. The farmer looks at them skeptically, his eyes dart to the suspicious bags held by their compatriots, a little ways off. One bag, ripped, and some dank moss spilling out. The farmer's mood immediately brightens. 
Brothers, if you got some of that so supremely stanky and a little bit too danky moss of the gods, you are friends of mine, come in please. Let's get a stew going, and those cuts tended to. Not much later, the trio had gone through half a bottle of healing salve and are positively moist with it. Ew. Enjoying bowls of piping hot stew. So what are you boys doing down yonder with all them gestures towards their still impressive cargo? of positively perfect and pleasingly pungent, perhaps purposely so, dank moss. Sean started, we're, uh, taking his time to choose his words carefully, lest he risk their sacred mission by telling the seemingly friendly stranger the truth. Marikov, bubbly as always, and eager to spread any love he could, piped up. We're going to the music fest, Focella. P-H-O-C-H-E-L-L-I-A. Don't sue me. Kai joined in. Yeah, man, we're the harbingers of the party. We're gonna stankify everyone and be hailed as hippie heroes. Kai and Marikov high-five and do an air loot for a few notes, while Sean kind of nods in agreement and nervously strokes his goatee. The farmer looks a bit disappointed, but sensing an opportunity... Well, we aren't too far from it. I'd say it's just down the Big Piss River. What? Who named it the Big Piss River? Whatever. Near the basin, right? Sean answered, yeah, that's, that's where it's supposed to go down, but man, it's still like 80 miles out and the party's in five days. Kai and Marikot's moods shift down a gear. The farmer speaks again. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. You give me some of, there of those bags, and uh, I'll get my buddy, who owns a boat shop down the road, to lend y'all a vessel. You arrive in the party in style and ahead of schedule. Once again, reinvigorated, Kai and Marikoth go kind of berserk, saying, Hell yeah! But Sean is like, I, I don't know, man. We're kind of going to need as much of this riggedy, rank rolling and smoke balling, fume growling moss that we can do. You know, to fuel the party. And we're running low as it is. Farmer oh, speaks yeah. again. Ah, but you see, he pulls out a tin bottle, black, with a skull and crossbones painted on it. Y'all ever douse it with terp? It makes the moss work overtime and gets you high in its own right. Shit's next level. Here, let me show you. Kai passes the farmer a small paper bag of moss. The farmer douses it and passes it back to Kai, who cautiously looks towards his friend who shake their heads no, but he does and takes a fat rip anyway. And not more than 30 seconds after, his pupils shrink, his face goes white, and his arms straighten out clutching the chair as if for dear life. He starts mumbling shit like, I don't know about this man, oh I don't know, I don't know about this man, Ooh, I don't know about this man. Marikoth, now panicked, is like, what the fuck, man? What'd you do to him? The farmer takes a whiff. <laughs> I think your friend's just a lightweight. <laughs> and sort of spaces out for a little bit, his jaw hanging open as the bag hits the floor and out rolls a dry, decayed, desecrated, and shriveled remains of a clump of that formerly primo, scranklin' and danklin' moss from the beyond realm. Marikoth, in awe at the casual cruelty of the crime against nature he just witnessed. Fuck, is, 
It's like dead. How do you even kill moss that quick? Sean took a stand. Sorry, farmer guy. We're gonna give you some moss, sure, but like, I don't think we want to, you know, poison it. The farmer who waits a good 30 seconds before responding, while clenching and unclenching his jaw in a far-off voice and looking just over the shoulder of Sean, says, It'll be fine, you know, nobody will, uh, even notice. I don't know, man. I think Kai noticed. Sean hissed back. Uh, well, if you aren't trying to make any money, man, then I can't help you. He stands up, grabs a bladed utensil and points it between Sean and Marikoth and explains, Rinse due, and it's time to get going. Kai, at this point, is still freaking out, kinda. Teeth clenching and sweating, now mumbling something different. Marikoth is now crying for Kai to wake up, and Sean is standing, eyes wide and hands up again. Just, just take what you want, man. Don't hurt us. The farmer grabs a full sack of the product and commands the trio to get the blood pit off his property. The three scramble to get the remaining shit and get out, balancing Kai between their shoulders and hobbling out together. Bummer, man, somebody mutters. <laughs> I didn't catch who, I guess. Hmm. The farmer watches the elves leave his property in fear, chuckling to himself. Fucking lightweights. <laughs> oh boy, now to do some strange and mildly reprehensible things. He grabs his prize, turpentine, and a bag labeled Fun Bag, and proceeds to his basement for whatever reason. It isn't more than a few hours later when the barking of the Order's trained attack dogs pierces the early morning silence. The heavy footfalls of the Order's agents stomping in near unison up the gravel pathway breach the farmer's door. The farmer's belongings are smashed and broken. Heirloom cabinets and chests are crushed and searched of their contents. His kitchen cabinets are empty, the carefully arranged spices within carelessly shattered upon the ground. If that isn't a metaphor, I don't know what is. The farmer is dragged out of his home, no doubt having a bad fucking trip at this point. Fluctuating between screaming and thrashing, he until he is dropped at the feet of the agent's commander. The man with the red leather gloves, wide-brimmed hat, and grizzled, hateful expression of one who thinks he has seen the toll the drug war takes firsthand. But never knowing true freedom, he, of course, would hardly be able to comprehend the true cost of his war. His delicate ego would no doubt shatter like your mom's shot glass hitting the counter after round 20 or so of her weekly drinking contest against the entire town if confronted with the ghosts of his own actions. And deep down, he feels it. He knows it. That's why he can't bring himself to smile anymore. That's why he tells himself a scowl is the default expression of a real man. This elf man stands over the farmer, his hollow, hateful gaze, bearing down with the anger of having fought 999 bloody battles over a lifetime to only find himself battling the same old foe for a thousandth time. He shows the farmer the patch of canvas. I know that you know that we know that you know where they are and I know you know that we know that they know where they're going. The farmer 
still tripping, is all... Uh, what? Dude, I'd love to help you, but I'm currently tripping on paint thinner and... Don't play done with me, junkie. I'll annihilate your damn house. The commander proceeds to remove his left glove, revealing a delicate and rune-scarred hand that makes the finger gun motion towards the farmer's farm and fire out a gout of flame from his fingertips, completely incinerating the farmer's life's work, and by extension, the life's work of his ancestors. The farmer sheds a few tears. The commander leans down to the farmer's level, which he for sure views as a metaphor. Nobody escapes my personal interpretation of justice. Now tell me, where are they going? Cut to approximately high noon. The trio is exhausted, absolutely dragging their feet. They may have only been fleeing the law for 14 hours, but that shit is draining, especially as ill-prepared as they are. Not to mention, the heat comes quickly to this mountain realm. They play it safe, though. This ain't their first rodeo. Staying low when they hear voices or wagons, and trying their best to move from tree to tree. They are following alongside the road, not on it. They don't want to be seen at all. Simply walking parallel to it, occasionally veering over to check to see they're on the right path. They come to a bridge ten feet or so above a rushing river, and down closer to the water, off the path, is the boating shop the farmer spoke of. Its green tiled roof and local pine wood supporting walls, almost causing their weary eyes to gloss over it for a moment. Though luckily, the babbling of the water flowing over the smooth river rocks peaked their minds out of their half slumber. It didn't take much deliberation for them to decide to try it. We can make it on time. We've been traveling parallel to the fest still 80 miles south. We could catch some Z's on the boat ride down. <laughs> it was unanimous. The haggard squad went down to the shop. Sean, the speaker of this group, pushes the door open, lightly as he tried, though it still causes a bell above him to ting. The only sound in this otherwise silent shop. He looks around. A sign reads, Boat oars, two for the price of one. A display with four fishing nets for customers to feel and sample before they buy. It looks like this place has all the boating accessories one might need. Two surprisingly bulky men in heavy cloaks stood in opposite corners, diligently looking over the wares of his shop. The owner of the shop peeks out from behind the sales desk, goes back, and then is apparently shoved out in the full view of the slightly surprised Sean. Oh, uh, ahoy thar! I'm Bartholomew Boatman, owner and sole proprietor of Riverman Supply Shop. You must be the elf farmer told me about, ha, huh? yes, I have that boat for you, he spoke quickly, almost nervously. You do? Yes, of course, huh, why would I lie to you? Please, follow me, it's on the pier. Wow, thanks mister, I promise I'll be back to pay you handsomely. Oh, there's absolutely no reason for you to ever return here. Ha ha ha, it's okay really. <laughs> Bartholomew Boatman hastily walks out, almost shoving Sean on his way to the front door. He had a strange walk, quick shuffling steps, almost like he had to pee. Sean stupidly thought to himself, maybe he hasn't got his land legs back yet. 
Bartholomew Boatman leads the trio to the only boat on the pier, and it's a good looking one too. This is one of those fancier models, no mere fishing boat, <laughs> it actually took some years to get all the parts and find for the build. Really the pride of my shop, <laughs> people used to come here from miles away to view it. It has what the ancients call an engine. Isn't that neat? Ah well, all yours. He offers them the keys to it. Kai spoke slowly and bewilderedly. We, uh, we don't know what an engine is. Marikoth agrees. And why do you need keys? Is the boat locked? Sean attempts to quiet his compatriots. Don't be rude, guys. He's giving it to us for free. Kai and Marikoth are all like, Whoa, that's wild! Can you show us how it works, though? Bartholomew Bowman looks nervously back to the shop, then to the tree line, then to the two more dudes in heavy trench cloaks, who are making themselves busy tying and untying a rope on the pier. Uh, yeah, you just put the key... And mm, he mimes, twisting the key to the side. Sean quickly says, Thanks man, we really appreciate it. But where? Asks Kai, completely obliviously. The owner sighs, clearly frustrated. It's just... Fine, I'll show you. He stomps over to the boat. He grabs the key entirely too tight, jams it into the keyhole, and twists it. The engine turns over. And he looks both bewildered and relieved, says, See, it's re- <laughs> But before he could finish his sentence, then the whole ass boat explodes. Dude is fucking vaporized. Everyone is knocked on their asses. The cloaked customers decloaked now, revealing that they were actually agents in disguise. Their gleaming metal armor now coated in carbon. Some of the carbon on one of the agents' breastplates Kind of looked like the screaming skull of Bartholomew Bowman. It later would not be noticed and cleaned off. The squad, limber as always, and altogether not too close to where the blast was, were able to recover quickly. But they squandered their advantage by hesitating. Fuck. Fuck! So what do we do now? Sean took charge. To the woods! But from the woods, and the now flaming shop, emerge yet more agents, firing their bows and releasing their hounds, which seems like a recipe for a friendly fire incident if you ask me, and an expensive vet bill, but then again, this is the government we're talking about. To the water! Sean quickly corrected himself. The squad turned tail and book it. Bolts flying by, the bag on the back of Kai catches one, rips the side wide open while the one Sean is carrying is hit as well, but explodes violently. He had been fermenting that moss, caring for it, nurturing it, taking a rare tea break. He planned to get super atomically blasted at that festival, but now the vicious barbed bolt from the agent, his dreams blew up like the Hindenburg, but dank. But the blast from the fermented gas propelled the gang forward that last few feet into the river. Back on shore, the commander took off his special commander hat, you know, the one that lets you know he's important, and threw it on the ground in anger. I can't keep getting away with this, you bastards, 
he shouts to the escaping stoners. A soldier approaches the captain and says, Another civilian dead in the crossfire, referring to the late boat shop owner. Sacrifices must be made for the greater good, right? Just chalk him up to that. We'll tell his family he died in service to our noble cause of making sure people don't have the freedom to choose what they put in their own damn bodies. We're the good guys, by the way. Yeah, of course we're the good guys. We know what's best for thousands, if not millions, of complete strangers, and we're not afraid to sacrifice a few to force the rest to comply with our opinions. Yeah! The commander stoops down to light a cigarette on the flames of what was once a man's livelihood. The boys, riding the adrenaline from this near-miss assassination attempt, scrambled for their lives in the icy river. Time seemed to slow down for all, and for Sean, this was horrifying. He had nothing to keep him afloat. He was weighed down by the metal shield and his boots and his wool cloak. It was all so heavy, and he was so very weary from the journey. He wished it to be over, yet his body could not submit. It, his body, almost on its own accord, decided to struggle and to fight to flash out above the water's surface and greedily fill his lungs with air. But the weight and the weariness only seemed to grow. As the water filled his ears, he could no longer hear the rushing river or the panic cries of his friends. His flesh numb from the shock could no longer feel the sting of the icy river. As he dipped below the water, his aching lungs, which had done a diligent job so far, finally caved to the mounting pain. His breath he had been holding in finally turned to fire and escaped him. His eyes open, he watched the precious moss cargo float away from him and cast shadows over the rippling sun in the water. Was he about to die? Perhaps. A few bubbles trickled out from his lips and his aching arms hung suspended, almost reaching up. He didn't really regret anything. Well, maybe not succeeding, but if tripping balls had taught him anything, it was to not hold on to those failures that were beyond his control. Or really any failures, so long as he was ready and willing to change them. He wished the Order had simply left him and his friends out of their warpath. But alas, that was beyond his control. Damn. Ah well, t'was a good enough life, he thought. And as the shadows began to encircle his vision, the bright sunspot on the river surface seemed to grow brighter and brighter. And with that, he breached the surface of the water, his lungs filling up with air, for they had never truly given up and drawn a breath of water. His two friends, Kai Marikoth, had grabbed him and foisted him up on their two remaining bags of precious cargo that they were using as flotation devices. They were panicked and worried but less so when they heard him gasp. And after not so long, Sean too came to his senses and chuckled. Thanks, guys. There wasn't too much more of the journey. Sure, the water was bitter cold, but they adapted to it. And there were rocks, yeah. They scraped open another one of their bags. And the journey did take a few more precious hours that they really would have rather rested through. But they kept to it. They braved the cold, deftly avoided the rocks, save for that one, and they withstood the grinding weariness. 
and together they floated into the shore of Lake Piss Basin. Ew, they named it Lake Piss Basin? Whatever. Against all odds, they were early. Four days early, in fact. But with only one waterlogged bag of moss to go around, it seems this year the good folk of the fest would have to ration the moss. Truly, it was a mixed blessing. While they really were happy to be alive after all that bullshit, they ultimately had little to show for it. They were so beat up, emotionally, that they didn't even take any moss for themselves. They just handed the bag to the first group of hippie chicks they met and asked to crash in their tent. And there they sulked and told their tale to those who'd listen. They watched the fest get set up and dreaded having to announce to the crowd that they wouldn't be able to construct the mausoleum of ego death, aka a big ass igloo made out of dank moss that you go into to meditate and achieve maximum levels of consciousness. Instead, they simply kept warm and dry, bumming what meager food and smokes they could, until at the medical tent, an elf man came in, dragged by his buddies, who was smiling wide. Dudes, dudes, this dude, he's, he's too high. At first, it seemed like a normal case of too much dank moss and not enough water or blood sugar. So they sat the man down. Kai spoke. It's all good, man. Uh, have a drink. This will pass. Sean joined. Yeah, man, do you want some sweet rolls? The smiling dude said. No, dudes, he's fine. Like, he's high on dank moss from the river. He took the trio to show them what had happened. They walked briskly to the lakeside, where dozens of hippies were gazing in awe and wonderment, some swimming, some singing praises to the lake itself. For it was positively glowing, with that icky, sticky, supremely, dreamly, bioluminescent, diggity-doink-dank moss. Gentlemen, I think we did it. Not too long after they arrived and fell to their knees in awe, did a glowing blue-white being shoot up from the center of the lake with the speed and majesty of a reverse waterfall. A massive creature, powerful, beautiful in a shapeless, divine sort of way, smiled. Well, you couldn't see its mouth, but like, you knew it was happy, right? and it spoke in a gentle yet booming voice that echoed in the boys' minds. Well done, my champions. Now go forth and dankify this shackled land. And with that, tattoos of that S thing with a pot leaf appeared on their skin, glowing in the same bright color. Bam! Warlocks. And hell yeah, the party was great. Every lunar cycle, they would hold another festival to party with the moss spirit here. The festival itself was renamed to Angel of the Lake Festival. The end. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude tonight's broadcast. It's been a pleasure, as always. I would like to thank Matt Kelly, as always, for the dope transition music. And the background music that you heard... Uh, was a few tracks off the album East of the Tower Mill by Savart Solis. I'll link his stuff in the description. 
pretty interesting stuff, right? Very, uh, very good background music. I'm going to be using more of his stuff in the future. Uh, I'd also like to thank Mintaka Art on Instagram uh, for most, if not all, the art that you've seen. Um, and as always, you, the listener, thank you so much for listening. Please share the episode if you enjoyed. The more listeners we get, the sooner we can drop the first of the bonus content. And let me know what kind of uh, prompts that you want to hear in the future. Submissions are currently open. And again, I'd love to hear from you. Comment on the Instagram page or wherever you're seeing this. I'm sure I'll see it somewhere. Uh, Support me on ko-fi slash gcpod, which is basically Patreon, but it's, it's way simpler to use. Ooh, next episode is going to be Berserkers and Chimeras.